0: We've been going through this series, Unity Through Mission. In this series, we're casting vision. We are asking the Lord to lead people together so that we can establish a core team of people that will eventually reach people in Dubuque, Iowa, across racial and socioeconomic lines. Um, And we have been demonstrating and reading through the scriptures that this is a gospel mandate, that part of The actual plan of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation is for God to have a group of people reflect him across racial, ethnic, socioeconomic lines, people that look different. We have read and seen beginning in Genesis through the Tower of Babel, how there was a time where people were unified against God and how God separated them, separated their languages, scattered them throughout all the nations. And then we read in Acts chapter 1, when God established the church, the day of Pentecost, we get a sense through um, Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, the apostle who wrote the book of Acts and gave us the narrative of the history of the church. We get a sense through the day of Pentecost, which was the day when the first church was established, that there were Jews from every nation under heaven, Luke emphasized, to demonstrate that God's plan for his people, initially the Jewish people, to reach people across all ethnic lines, that he was reminding them of that in the church era when the church was established. He still wanted them to continue that through the New Testament era, through the church era, through Jesus Christ, the Messiah who was prophesied in the Old Testament. Then um previously we highlighted some scriptures in revelation where we see at the end once god brings it all together and we're all in heaven and there's a new heaven and a new earth that the scriptures reveals god's heart that is been revealed throughout the scriptures is that people from every language tongue and nation would be representing him would be worshiping him now one of the practical applications of that that we have been talking about and discussing, is that in this country, in America, we know we have a history. Just like the Jews and the Samaritans, they had a history of being disunified or not unified across ethnic and socioeconomic lines. And for those of us that know the history of our country, that is a huge part of the history of America, is that people are not unified or they are disunified across ethnic and social and economic lines. And then we see, if you're paying any attention, what's going on around the world, if in, across the nation, even in Dubuque, Iowa, in the history of Dubuque, um, there's a problem um, that is not necessarily something new, but is being resurfaced and rehighlighted. That in this country we still have challenges and issues regarding race relations and socioeconomics that really haven't been dealt with in depthly. And we talked about how in the church, even though God gave us that mission and that mandate, that we should be the ones that are an example to the rest of the world, like Jesus wanted his disciples to be. He says, you're not going to be um, racist, which was not a word in that day. It was discrimination or people being disunified across ethnic lines. He said, you're not going to be that as my people. You're going to reach out to the Samaritans, the people that you are the most disunified with, and you're going to demonstrate God's love, and you're going to show the world that God's people do not focus on being disunified across those lines. And so today in America, with our history, with our challenges, we have highlighted that we have a gospel opportunity as Christians. We have a great opportunity to reflect Christ in a nation and in a community for radius here in Dubuque that is often not unified and looking for answers when people are disunified across those lines, because we can say to them, not only as Christians are we unified across those lines, lines, but here's why. Because we have a Savior who loves us, who desires to save us from our sins and unify a people that reflect being reconciled, not only with each other, but back to their God and their Creator. So, today we're going to look at another narrative and a story revealed in the scripture through the wisdom of our God, where He guided Dr. Luke to record a narrative and a story where we see more of God's intentional plan to unify people across ethnic lines for the glory of God and for the purpose of sharing Jesus. So with that being said, let's look at Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 26 through 40, the story of Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading. And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And they came up out of the water, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. May the Lord bless his word. So, as we remember in Acts 1-8, the Lord Jesus gave the disciples the church mission. He told them that he wanted them to be witnesses, not only in Jerusalem and in Judea, their own people, but in Samaria uh, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What we have here in this story is we have recorded The first encounter with one of God's people from the first church of someone outside the Jewish or Samaritan nations. This is the first encounter of the Jewish people with someone or another ethnic group outside of Jews or Samaritans, and Samaritans were half Jews. And so we see here recorded in this story, God pushing his people to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave them, and their first encounter was with a black African. Now, I want to point something out, I'll point it out now, and I, and I might or might not emphasize it again, that's important for our context in the country that we live in and our history. It's important that we understand, even though some of us probably do understand, that it is actually recorded in Scripture that Christianity was introduced to black Africans before the American colonial slavery time period. The reason why that's important is because many of us in the African-American community know and realize that many very intellectual African-Americans teach and push and, in their words, try to educate the African-American community that Christianity was pushed on the African-American community or we were manipulated to embrace Christianity, beginning in slavery, so that we would accept oppression. That idea has risen again during this time. It is often known in the African-American culture that Christianity is the white man's religion. That we are being manipulated to accept a white Jesus, in that what we are learning is a false teaching. And so it is important not only that we know that while we have a heart and we are empathetic to why many of these intellectual African-Americans are pushing this agenda because of pain, because of history, because of hurt, because of people misrepresenting Christianity and oppressing people historically and It's often still done today. We know that that has nothing to do with true Christianity. Just because people misrepresent Christianity, we want to be sure that we are not deceived on the other extreme to be manipulated to not embrace Christianity because our eternal destiny is on the line. It is Christ over culture. And so it's very, very important, though, that we know the Scriptures— and we are able to refute those claims from the scriptures. That's all I'll say about it right now. That could be a series all in itself. But it's just important that we understand that. We understand the times we're in, and we understand the scriptures. So, in verse 26, we read that the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, the Lord guided Philip first through an angel, apparently here, and the angel told Philip to rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. First thing I want to point out as God is guiding Philip in the church to reach people from all nations is the essential role the Holy Spirit plays in God's design and call for our lives. When you're reading this story and you really reflect on it, that seems to be the biggest overall theme is that we see that our God, our creator, who those of us who um, have a little bit of background in understanding the Bible know that Jesus told the disciples that when he leaves, he's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will help them in his absence. The Holy Spirit being one of the members of the Trinity, one God who exists in three co-equal persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, but they're one God. Very difficult to comprehend that, but you see it revealed in scriptures. But the Holy Spirit, we are supposed to be aware and dependent on the Holy Spirit. We see, first there's an angel, That speaks to Philip. But then we see in verse 29 that the Spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. Then we see in verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. So you get this sense that Philip had a connection with the Holy Spirit. The reason why this is important is we need to know that our God, he operates through relationship. Many of us have heard that, we've said that, intellectually we know that, but it is so, so essential that we understand that for God's calling on our lives to have clear direction, to be led by God and have a sense that you know you're in the right place, There needs to be a communication between your creator that God has sent us during the church era with his spirit. There needs to be a personal relationship and communication where you and I are being led by God. As Christians, we don't just live life without consciousness or awareness of where God is leading us, and depended upon his leading. This example by Philip is revealed in the scriptures for you and for me to be aware that our God spoke to him. God is real. He speaks. He's personal. And we don't just fulfill the church mission or our personal life mission without... A relationship with God and having a strong sense that we are where He wants us to be and where He wants us to go. We said before, not about you, because it's first about how God leads you and then He uses you. That's how it is about you. Are you being led by the Spirit and are you where God wants you to be? Now, This is revealed and recorded, and we read these kind of stories, and we listen to testimonies of other people who, it seems like they kind of have a relationship with God. They know God. They talk about the Spirit, and I've been on that other side where I'm like, okay, how does that happen? How does that work? Well, unfortunately, we ain't going to get into a series today about the Spirit, because that's a whole nother series, but we will. But The simple part for you to know today, and that we'll learn through Philip, is that he was surrendered. Everything in his life, all areas of his life. God knew his heart, and we see that throughout the Scriptures. Whenever God encounters someone, he knows their heart. Or when they are not surrendered to him, he has to break them down until they are totally surrendered so that they can hear his voice. And then obey his voice. Many of us want power from God, but God's message to you is, will you totally surrender every area of your life to him? Many of us want to hear from God. We want to experience things. But the question is, are you willing to surrender all? Not hold something specific back. All. The more you surrender, you draw nigh to God, he'll draw near to you. The more you surrender, the more you will experience him. All areas of your life. We know that we need to have Bible study and prayer, but there's also the decisions that you make, what you prioritize. God wants to know you're surrendered. When you read about somebody like Philip and that God is speaking to him, it 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 reads easier than it is (laughs) because you're reading a narrative, but you don't know all of Philip's life and that he surrendered all. You hear all the time, many ministers or many people that have given their life to the Lord, and it seems like that God is using them, and it seems like the Spirit is using them, but most of them, if not all of them, will probably tell you, This is a sacrificial life in order to hear from God this way. It is not something that just happens. It is not easy. This is not something you just want. It's not about having power. It's about sacrificing even unto death if need be. If you're willing to do that and God knows then it's likely over time you will begin to hear from him, understand how the spirit works, and you will recognize his voice because God is still real. He's still supernatural. He's the God of the natural and supernatural. And God still speaks and miracles still happen. So we see from Philip that he is led by the Holy Spirit. At Radius, we need to be surrendered, surrendered all to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And individually, we need to reflect and think about that, that we surrender our lives to God to hear from the Holy Spirit. When God had called Philip and he told Philip to... Go where he wanted him to go. The context of this was persecution of the Jerusalem church or the first church. Last week, when we read in Acts chapter 2, we read about joy. They were all together, they were eating food, they were having a good time, everything was going well. Well, in the context of chapter 8 here, before we read about this story, the scripture reveals that there had been a challenge or a persecution of the church. They were scattered. The government and the religious leaders in Jerusalem had organized themselves to persecute the church in such a way that they used Saul, which many of you know now is the Apostle Paul, but that ain't where he started, as we talked about, where he began was he was a religious leader who had a lot of power and he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ, so much so that they were pulling children and families and men and women out of their homes and throwing them in jail. And then one of the um, leaders of the church, Stephen, man named Stephen, not the Stephen that we know, but he was powerful like Stephen. (laughs) They had stoned him to death. They murdered him. And the scripture says Saul was standing there giving approval, watching this man get murdered. And so the church scattered. So when God is calling Philip to continue to do this work, his life ain't easy. It was most definitely not as cushiony, at least at this time, that we have it in the American church. When you read about what these men and women of God were doing, the great things that were doing, sometimes it's easy to read the story and not realize how difficult their lives were. And for many of us, and I've been there, that's one of the reasons why sometimes I don't do what I'm supposed to do because my life, there's times in my life it gets difficult. And I'm I'm complaining, I'm saying, Lord, why? And then I'm reminded as I read about the men and women historically in the scriptures that they, for the most part, were always suffering because people were hostile towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, The lesson that God reveals through Philip as he's calling him and for me and you is that God still works during difficult times. God used the persecution of the church, actually. When rough things happen in your life and my life, God uses that quite, quite often to challenge us and to push us to focus on him and to fulfill his mission and purpose for the church and our personal lives. we're in a pandemic. There's social unrest. So, God has allowed a virus that not even the most intelligent scientists and doctors in the world can give a clear message to what we do about it. There is nothing easy about the times we're living in. And I will present or I will say to you that in my heart and in my soul as I'm meditating and praying, I sense that God is using and wants to use these challenges that we're having to draw the church closer to him and have perspective. When there's unity, disunity rather, nationally, and people are divided across all kinds of lines. Here's an opportunity for God's people to come together during this pandemic, during this social unrest, and reflect the gospel. Whenever there's pain, there's purpose. That's how God works. He reveals how awesome he is through us when he's able to use us during the most difficult times. If we only serve God when it's easy, everybody do that. B O E T, every time they get an award, everybody thank God. Everybody can thank God when things are going good. But when you are connected to the Spirit, and you're led by the Spirit, and filled with the Spirit, when tough times come, you're prepared. But when you're living for self and you are not prepared when the storms and the winds and the rain comes that's when we will run from god rather than god using that as an opportunity to be used by him what i'm saying i will i must stress again i am not talking about your own strength to accomplish and fulfill god's mission through difficult times, I'm talking about now or if you are in a situation where you can focus on God, focus on it, get connected to him so that you're operating through his strength, through the spirit, because your time is coming where God will use difficult circumstances to either use you or send a message to you and remind you that we are here as Christians to serve him and to bring people to Christ and not just live for self and have prosperity in this world. I love the beginning of verse 27. It says that Philip rose and went. When the Spirit spoke to him, he was already in connection with God. God knew or the Spirit knew and the angel knew that when I told Philip to do something, he was going to do it. If God gives you direction, The question God has for you, he already knows where you are. He often puts us in situations, as many of us know, to reveal to us where we are. Will you go where he tells you to go and do what he tells you to do? He rose and went. Just one more, a couple quick things about Philip. Philip was um, a deacon. He was one of the first seven deacons um, in Acts chapter 6 when God, when the scriptures uh, first instituted um, leaders outside of the apostles, Um, they established deacons. And one was, um, in Stephen, we know about Stephen, he's the most famous. And then there's Philip. And he was the first guy in the scriptures that was known as an evangelist. You can read about that in um, Acts 21, verse 8. He's called an evangelist. And that's the first time we hear of someone specifically being called an evangelist, somebody who goes out as a missionary and shares the gospel. We see examples of all types of Christians doing that in Acts, but the, 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 the spirit, through the spirit and through the church, they actually call Philip an evangelist. All right. The rest of verse 27 There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this eunuch was in charge of all the treasure of Candace. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So when the scriptures, when you read the word or the ethnic group Ethiopia, um, in a lot of my research over the years, this is um, interesting when we talk about Ethiopians or black Africans in the scriptures because different words are often or different terminology in translations of the Hebrew and the Greek are used to describe Africans that were darker skin. We talked to you all um, previously and reminded you that during that era, race or racism was not a part of their culture like we understand it today. People knew that there were people of different colors, but there was diversity of color within diverse nations. So you might've had um, folks from Egypt that were darker skinned, browner skin, lighter skin, but they were all Egyptians. And you might have had a pharaoh from Egypt that one time was very dark, one time was very lighter. And so people groups, when it came to color, was not the main focus. It was more different languages, different um, cultures, different um, food. That's how people were identified for the most part. However, from time to time, there were a people group like the Ethiopians. They're also known as Kush or Kushites, or sometimes Nubians, I mean they translate when they describe them in different ways, where sometimes there are people people groups that are so distinct that they are identified by something like a color, but that wasn't something to discriminate, that was just something words they used to identify. And so Ethiopian means black, means dark, but it's not the Ethiopia in this continent that you might think of today, Um, Even though the Ethiopians in modern-day Ethiopia are black or dark, but during those times, it wasn't that same place in Africa. It wasn't that same culture. It was a different group of Ethiopians. And generally, these people from Cush were generally very, very powerful. When Alexander the Great and when Rome was conquering the whole world, Cush was independent. So Cush maintained its independence. They were not conquered and as you read here, this man, this e- this Ethiopian, this eunuch, he was powerful. He was rich. And Candace, this is a name that's um, very similar to, it's, it's probably not the name of the queen based on some of the research I've done um, historically. It's kind of like a pharaoh. So it would be Candace or all of the queen mothers in this particular group were usually the main ruler. And normally the ruler of Cush was called Candace. And it was generally a woman. And Candace's ruled all the way up through 400 AD after Christ. And they were wealthy. And so when Philip came upon this Ethiopian eunuch, which could have described also him being emancipated or could have just described his um, political position. Either way, he was an official. But the key in when the Jews would have read this from Dr. Luke, the biggest important point is that he came to Jerusalem to worship. In in The Jewish custom, if you were a eunuch or if you were a Gentile, you just couldn't be in the inner courts worshiping with the Jews. But we see that this well-to-do eunuch had an end somehow with Jerusalem. And then the Spirit said to Philip, verse 29, go over to this chariot. The man had his own chariot. Luke mentions this several times again just to emphasize he had wealth. And so Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet. And he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? All right. When life circumstances lead people to be drawn to God, it's not a coincidence. It's God's plan. With the persecution of the church, everything that was happening, now the Spirit is saying to Philip, I am going to use this moment to push you Jews out of your comfort zone to reach people outside ethnic lines to reach all nations like I told you to do. So now I'm going to use this and push you out. I'll say and say it again. We have a gospel opportunity during this pandemic here at Radius and in your personal life, that although we are challenged and maybe challenged in our personal lives, when God leads you and pushes you out of your comfort zone, it may be, it may just be that God is trying to wake you up to use you to lead you to somebody he wants to reach. Even if the whole world is against God, God has that one person, that he may want you to save and transform their lives. (coughs) It is very important, (coughs) excuse me, that we see the two types of people in this story. There's Philip, who knows God, and then there's the eunuch who is seeking God. God always brings these two people together, these two types of people. God does not guide us in the scriptures, when we're reading and we're learning about how God guides Christians to reach other people, he does not guide us to force Christianity on people. He does not guide us to force people to want to know God. Evangelism, reaching people, is done through the Spirit. God will guide you to people who are seeking him. Now, two things have to happen if you want that to happen smoothly and in coordination with God's plan like he's doing for Philip. First, you have to be sacrificial and willing to serve. Second, God will lead you to the right person or people. That's how you grow the church. We're not forcing pe- people. We're being spirit-filled, spirit-led, unified, and then God sends us the right people. The first thing that has to happen for Radius and God will continually not move until that happens, is that we are all surrendered and unified. It won't be about our circumstances. It'll be about our surrendering to the Lord. Circumstances will be good. They will be challenged. But when we're filled with the Spirit and when we're strong through the Spirit, no matter what's happening, that'll be evidence that we're maturing and that circumstances doesn't determine how radius grows. It's being spirit-filled, surrendered. Spirit surrendered, surrendering to the Lord, and then God will lead us to the right people. All right. A couple more things in these stories. So he was reading the book of Isaiah. We see that in verse 28, when he was returning, seated in his chariot, He was reading the prophet Isaiah. God knows, and this is evidence of a heart that's seeking. He was reading the prophet Isaiah, and then in verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran over to him, and he was reading the prophet. But then Philip asked him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? He was reading Like I was trying to back in the day seeking God, but I had no clue what I was reading. I was just ready. I was seeking. I can relate to this Ethiopian. And then he said, well, how can I unless somebody guides me? So he acknowledges, I'm reading, but I don't get it. But when your heart is right and you're seeking God, even if you don't know, and even if you don't understand and you don't know what to do, God hears you. He knows your name. See, God is a personal God. When somebody is truly seeking him, God leads you or me, or he guides somebody for you so that he can give you more understanding. And so he invited Philip to come and sit, and then there's this passage of Scripture that he was reading, which was a prophecy in Isaiah, which is amazing. We read this, so I'm not going to read it again, but here we are in Isaiah it's likely Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Here this man is reading a passage, and there was only the Old Testament at that time. When you and I are reading the New Testament, they are actually in the Old Testament era. So the New Testament has not, had not been written yet. So when you're looking at the Bible, you have to think when those people were thinking the Bible, they were thinking Old Testament. So here he is reading a passage of Scripture about somebody— that he didn't know about, but had already been crucified. This had already happened. So the spirit led this Ethiopian to read this passage. And Philip comes along and says, you know what? Let me tell you about who that is. I was walking with him. I was talking with him. This is actually just happened. Could you imagine that cool conversation? I know apostles who were with him. He's reading a prophecy that speaks of the Messiah that all the very, very intelligent Pharisees and theologians of their day, even though they had the Scriptures, because they were not truly personally connected to God, they had an agenda, the Spirit of the Lord didn't Make it clear, reveal to him that God was talking about Jesus the whole time. And that's what happens today. People can be religious. They can be intellectual. They can be smart. They can know the Bible. But their minds are closed because God knows their heart is not genuine. So they can be reading the same Bible you and I are reading and not get it. But when God knows your heart is right, he opens your eyes, as the scripture says, that the Jesus did to the disciples so that they can understand the scriptures. Here it is right there. For many of us, me and you as plain as day. I mean, this is Jesus. (laughs) I I mean, this is what happened. This is what happened with the Messiah. They were thinking the Messiah would come and come on a horse and deliver them from Rome. But that's because they didn't understand the scriptures that the Messiah was coming as a sacrifice for their sins, that he would be a model or an example of all the sacrifice God had been teaching the Jewish people that they needed because they had sin. And God would come as God in the flesh and be the lamb of God and sacrifice himself for the sin of the world and for your sin and my sin and for those that we are looking to reach. This is our message. When the Spirit leads us, and then God sends somebody our way. And God sends people to Radius. Our message to them is that we have a savior that sacrifices life. And we have to help them understand that they, their sin needs to be forgiven. That's how you evangelize, my brothers and sisters. Get people to understand the bad news is really bad. <laughs> That's why the good news is so good. Because if you do not, if you die and you don't know, that your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ, you're taking a chance when you go to the other side that you may or may not go to heaven. But with Jesus, you can know today because it's not about your works, it's about his sacrifice. And so when you have that heart and you and I are living under the spirit, God always gives you the wisdom to give the simple gospel and in a way where that person can understand it. This, God set it up. It was just easy. Philip just had to show up. And that's what he'll do for you. That's what he's done for me. When the spirit is really moving, I show up and that person already ready. They've been reading the Bible. They've been seeking. And then God just gives me simple words. But anytime it gets about us or we make it about other things, that's when we get in trouble. It's all about forgiveness of sin in the gospel. (coughs) Last couple things I want to show you. So the eunuch in verse 34, he asked the question, who is the prophet say this about himself or somebody else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So we we talked about that. And then you get the, the Ethiopian eunuch's response. We see that he responded the right way, and this was all set up by the Spirit. And he said, see, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Which is pretty cool because God led Philip to a desert, and all of a sudden, God knew, okay, the water's going to be here. Is they going to be standing right by the water? But, you know, that's, that's too much. You got to meditate, see, and read that. And then when they came upon the water, the Spirit of the Lord, you see the Spirit in there, carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way. He rejoiced. And then Philip found himself being led by the Lord in other places. So what's cool about this scenario and how God works, and forgive me, I'm a, I'm a little bit over time today, um, is that if you know the Old Testament scriptures, and I'm pretty sure Philip did, there's a similar story that happened in the Old Testament that happened in this encounter during the New Testament era With an Ethiopian. In Jeremiah 29, and you all know the prophet Jeremiah, they call him the weeping prophet. Nobody listened to his message. I mean, he almost had no converts because everybody was against the true and living God. But when all the Jews were against the true and living God, just like in this time with Philip, there was a Ethiopian who was faithful to God, and God used him to encourage Jeremiah. Just like during this time where the church was under persecution and God used an Ethiopian. Okay, just want to show you this, and then there's a point here as we close. Jeremiah 39, verse uh, 15, starting off, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. And then in verse 16, he said, go and say to Ebed-Malik, um, the Ethiopian, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accompanied before you on that day. Verse 17, but I will deliver you, he says to the Ethiopian on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. Verse 18, for I will surely save you, And you shall not fall into the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war. Why? Because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. Same God in the Old Testament. Same God in the New Testament. Same ethnic group in the Old Testament. Same ethnic group in the New Testament era. And the message is the same. Trust in the Lord. It's amazing how. All those years ago, that narrative in the Old Testament lines up and is similar to the story we're reading in the New Testament era. Similar circumstances. God uses an Ethiopian. And we see that our God, 4,000 years removed from a circumstance, 4,000 years later, how it's coordinated in the scriptures. Our God is awesome. And his message through the Ethiopian, through us, as we are looking to be unified across ethnicity, is that we must trust him. Radius, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you all are individually going through. But if, and a lot of you are doing awesome. We got a lot of awesome people that are serving God and being unified through Radius. But. In order to finish and fulfill this mission through Radius Church, I pray that individually we all continue to lean on the spirit and trust in him. Again, sorry for being over time. In Jesus' name.